1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 9. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, by no means referring to this world's immoral people, or to the greedy and the swindlers or to the idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother who is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, or a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what is it to me to judge outsiders? Do you not judge those who are inside? But the Almighty judges outsiders. Put away the evil person from among yourselves. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. Today we come to the close of our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and the subject of church discipline. We just read the verse in this chapter that initially got me started in studying this topic. And that's the last part of verse 13. That's what piqued my attention. The last part of verse 13 says, Put away the evil person from among yourselves. And that's Paul quoting Moses, quoting Deuteronomy 17 verse 7, word for word from the Septuagint text of the book of Deuteronomy. It's actually where we get the word Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a Greek word. It's not a Hebrew word. The Hebrew name for that book is Devarim. The Greek name is Deuteronomos or Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. Paul is quoting verbatim from Deuteronomy 17.7 and Paul is taking a law about capital punishment in Old Covenant Israel and he's applying it to removing an unrepentant sinner from the New Covenant congregation. Now up to this point in these lessons, we've seen that a man in the congregation at Corinth was involved in unrepentant immorality. And it was a kind of immorality that was not even being practiced by the heathens of that time in that area. And that is, for a man to be involved in sexual sin with his father's wife. The Corinthian congregation was puffed up with pride. They believed that they were handling the situation properly by not doing anything about it. Let's just love him. Let's don't do anything about it. He's unrepentant. We just need to love him. That's not biblical love on an unrepentant man. They were wrong. They should have been filled with grief over the matter. They should have been mourning for their brother who had fallen away into this sin. And then in that morning, they should have removed him with tears from the congregation. Now we saw that Paul pronounced this judgment on the matter. That was in last week's lesson. By the power of Yeshua from heaven. Paul said that so long as the man refused to repent, he needed to be excommunicated from the congregation. He needed to be handed over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh in hopes that his spirit would be saved in the day of the Master. That sounds severe, but sometimes love looks like putting a man outside of the congregation that refuses to repent. Sometimes that's what love looks like, according to our beloved brother, Apostle Paul. I want you to always remember, the man was not removed from the congregation in hopes of his eternal condemnation. That wasn't the hopes of the congregation. The hope was that he would repent. That was the hope. The hope was that through the trials that come along with unrepentance and even the physical illness that we talked about last week that will be placed upon this man's body 
it may move him to repent of his sin. Thus be forgiven. You know the man could be forgiven for that sin. Wipe Scott free and allow back into the congregation upon repentance. Yahweh's in the forgiving business. Hallelujah. I'm thankful that he is or else I wouldn't be here today. So we get into looking at our text today, verses 9 through 13. That was by way of review. Paul deals with the point of disfellowship further in these verses and he starts off in verses 9 through 10 and he says this, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people by no means referring to the world's immoral people or to the greedy and the swindlers or to the idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. Now, verse 9 is a branch off of what he was dealing with in verses 1 through 8 concerning that unrepentant man. It appears to me that Paul had written a previous letter to the congregation at Corinth when he said, I wrote to you in a letter. Scholars and theologians are... They debate on this. My estimation is that Paul's not talking about the letter that we're reading, but a previous letter that's not included in the canon of Scripture, maybe not even exists anymore today. And then the Corinthians had responded to Paul by a letter of their own. And in their letter, they misunderstood some things. Now, I get that they wrote him a letter. Just put your eyes over to chapter 7, verse 1. And Paul says, about the things you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. That's a whole other subject. But my point is, Paul is saying about the things you wrote to me. I think Paul initially wrote a first letter and they responded. And in their response, they misunderstood some things that Paul had written in the first letter. So Paul follows it up with what we now call 1 Corinthians in the canon of the New Testament. One of the things they misunderstood was Paul's admonition to not associate with immoral people. They took Paul to mean everybody out in the world. We're not allowed to mingle or to associate with this world's immoral people, but that's not what Paul meant. Paul points out that there are unrepentant immoral people all around us in our daily lives. So in order for a person to disassociate himself entirely from this world's immoral people, Paul says you would have to leave the world. You would have to leave the planet. You would have to hermitize yourself. And although sometimes that sounds good to me, that's not biblical. It's not biblical to hermitize yourself. We're made to be a part of a body. We're made to have neighbors that we love. How can you fulfill the commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself if you are a hermit, right? Paul's point is not to disassociate from the world's immoral people. Paul's point is not to quit going out into commerce and society. He was instead referring to what he's been dealing with in this whole chapter. He was talking about do not associate with the member in the congregation who had fallen into sin and refused help for that sin and refused to repent from that sin. And let me add this in here before we continue. Church discipline is not for the brother or the sister who recognizes their sin and seeks for help. If a brother comes to another brother or a sister comes to another sister here in the congregation and they say, I'm struggling in my life with a sin and I need help. That does not mean that they receive church discipline. You know what that means they receive? Help. 
It means they receive help. They're repentant. They're struggling. I'm thankful that I struggle and don't live in sin. Amen. I'm thankful that when I sin, it bothers me so bad that I have to repent. Amen. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a difference between practicing sin and struggling with something. There's some sins I don't struggle with. There's some sins that I have whooped, as we say. No problem with. There's others that I struggle with. There's others that I battle with. But I go to my trusted brothers and sisters in the congregation and I talk with with them about these things and confess to one another, not just to Yahweh, but to one another. And we can help one another and pray for one another so that we all may be healed and do better in our obedience to Yahweh. So many times I've had people come to me over the years and confess that they struggle in a certain area and they're broken in spirit about it. And Yahweh says He doesn't turn away a broken spirit, so I'm going to imitate Yahweh and I'm not going to turn away a broken spirit when people come to me. And so when a person does that, they need help, they need encouragement, they need counsel, they need guidance. They need to know they're a member in the body of the Messiah and that if we confess our sins and repent of our sins, Yahweh is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, First John says. So discipline is for the unrepentant brother or sister, the person in the congregation who doesn't want help and refuses to repent, like the man in 1 Corinthians 5. He wanted to stay in that relationship with his father's wife in spite of correction. And this Paul clarifies in the next verse. Look at verse 11. He says, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, who is sexually immoral, or greedy, an idolater, or a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. Now this is linked to everything that Paul has been writing in this section of his letter. The man who was living with his father's wife, that man bore the name of brother. He was a brother. He was somebody you'd call Brother Smith, Brother Jones. He was a brother in the congregation. He was a member of the fellowship. He was considered to be in the faith. They worshipped with that man, yet that man was unrepentant. And Paul lists a series of sins that call for disfellowship or excommunication here. If someone bears the name of brother or sister, I should add, because the idea here is a fellow believer in the congregation, brother or sister, family of Yahweh, if someone bears that name yet refuses to repent, of, Paul is, sexual immorality, greed, idol worship, reviling. Reviling is kind of an old school word like for a scoundrel, a troublemaker. Drunkenness, swindling, cheating, thieving. Then you have no choice but to disassociate from that person. That's what Paul was writing about. Don't associate with the immoral people, not the ones out in the world that are outsiders but the ones that bear the name of brother or sister that are insiders and refuse to repent. Do not associate with them. Paul says not even to eat with them. I'll get more to that here in a moment. Now I want you to remember this. This verse is not giving you or me permission to disfellowship somebody the first time that you see them in a sin. Praise Yahweh that He doesn't disfellowship us like that from Him. Praise Yahweh He didn't disfellowship me the first time that I sinned, or the second time that I sinned, 
or the third time that I sin, and you get where I'm going with that. Praise Yahweh that when I come back to Him and confess and repent and say, Help me, Father, He didn't disfellowship me. He is a loving Father that corrects His children and teaches us, and mind you, He teaches us individually at our own pace, step by step, and year by year. There are many things that I understand now at the age of 35 that I did not understand at the age of 15 when I began to study my Bible for myself. I've been doing that for about 20 years now for myself, studying the Bible. Now, I believe that I had a relationship with my Heavenly Father when I was 15 years old. I do. A personal relationship, one-on-one with Him. But I have advanced. I have grown up, not just naturally, but spiritually. And I hope that I keep growing spiritually and maturing spiritually. But thanks be to Yahweh, I know He's not going to deal with me in the next 20 different than He dealt with me in the first 20. And what I mean by that is, He's still going to let me learn at the pace that I'm able to learn. Isn't that wonderful? Hopefully, if you're in here, if you've been in this congregation for five years, the Bible says that you can even eat the fruit of a natural tree if it's five years old. If you've been in this congregation for five years, hopefully you're at a higher level now in understanding and maturity and matters of the Spirit than you were five years ago. Hopefully you've been growing in grace and in knowledge, Peter says. Amen? But Yahweh didn't put it all on you at one time. No. He's a very loving gracious Father on His children. So, it doesn't give us permission to disfellowship somebody the first time we see them sin. Let's imitate Yahweh's love. Let's keep in mind the steps that Yeshua outlined in Matthew 18. Do we remember those steps? Matthew 18, 15 through 20. That's why I took a whole lesson to go through Matthew 18. There's a process in dealing with a person who bears the name of brother or sister yet falls into sin. What's the process? First you go to them in private. You rebuke them. If they listen, praise Yahweh. If they don't, you take one or two more with you. You go back to them in love and gentleness and meekness. If they listen to you, praise Yahweh. You've won them. If they don't, bring it then before the congregation and still hope that they listen when you bring it before the congregation. But if they don't, then Yeshua says, let them be to you as an outsider and not as an insider. So there's a process. And our desire should never be to have to disfellowship anyone. But at the same time, also realize that it might have to occur if the situation does not pan out as we would like it to pan out. So you could have a brother or sister that you dearly love fall into one of these sins and you could go through all the proper steps and attempt to win them back over to the faith. You could even be patient with them and take an entire year or years to help them. Yet, for some, they still will not listen or repent. And at that point, at that point and that point alone, Paul instructs us not to associate with that person. And he says not even to eat with that person. What does he mean here by not eat with a person? Well, let me tell you something. When I first began to study this, I initially thought that Paul was only referring to eating the Passover or eating the Master's Supper. And the reason I thought that was because of the context in verses 6 through 8 concerning the Messiah, our Passover. Remember we talked about that, I think it was last week. There's a Passover theme in here. But the more that I study and meditate on this, I believe that Paul, in verse 11, is talking about a common meal of fellowship. In other words, not eating with such a person does include spiritual ceremonies, 
that's included. Master Supper and Passover. If there's a, if they're an outsider and no longer an insider, they're not going to be eating the Passover and the Master Supper anyhow. But I believe that it goes further than that. And here's the reason I think this. Follow along with me. I believe the reason that Paul mentions the Passover here in verses 6 through 8 is simply because it was Passover season at the time that they received the letter. I don't think that he's saying that Passover is by nature linked to what he's been discussing. Do you kind of catch what I'm saying? I don't think Passover is intrinsically linked to this subject. I think Paul uses Passover because it makes a good analogy and it's Passover season. So he he draws from that feast. There's good analogy and metaphor in that feast for what he's dealing with. But he could have dealt with the subject and never even mentioned the Passover had it been in the middle of the summer or something like that. Okay? So I don't think Paul is saying this. This is what I think Paul is not saying. You can't eat the Passover with the unrepentant person but you can still have them over for dinner at your house as though everything is okay. I don't think that. I believe Paul is saying that an unrepentant brother is to be treated differently than even an unrepentant sinner in the world that's an outsider. Remember back to verses 9 through 10. Paul was not telling them to disassociate with the immoral people in the world. The sinners in the world, they weren't coming to the congregation in the first place. Worldly sinners were automatically not eating the Passover or the Master Supper. Why? Because they weren't part of the congregation. But you may have a common meal with an unrepentant sinner in the world. You can associate with a worldly sinner in the regard and in hopes that you may witness to them to receive salvation in the Messiah. But a person who bears the name brother or sister that remains unrepentant after you've gone through the proper steps to help them, I believe you go one step further with them. Why? Because eating a common meal is a type of fellowship. If I have Brother Jerry and Sister Lisa over to my house one night, guess what? There's going to be food involved. And we're going to sit down and we're going to eat. And we're going to fellowship. He's my brother. It's family of Yahweh. Okay? That's a type of fellowship. Paul is telling the members of the congregation they cannot even have this common type of fellowship meal with an unrepentant brother or sister. Now, I hope that that makes sense. But more so, I hope that you'll meditate on it before you accept it or reject what I just said. Once again, it seems to me that Paul has to be teaching the church members that they are not allowed to do something with the unrepentant brother that they are allowed to do with a worldly sinner. I hope you see that. I'm going to get more into that here in just a second. It's an added measure of discipline. And once again, it's not that you hate the person. It's that you're turning them over and trying to get their attention. And maybe when I say, I'm sorry, I love you, but I can't eat with you because you've refused to repent, maybe their heart will melt. Let's look at the last two verses in the chapter, verses 12 through 13. For what is it to me to judge outsiders? Do you not judge those who are inside? But the Almighty judges outsiders. Put away the evil person from among yourselves. See, Paul is not judging the outsiders, that is, the people outside the congregation. That doesn't mean we don't make judgments on people outside the congregation. Paul is specifically talking about discipline. You can't 
have church discipline on somebody that's not a member of the congregation. You see what I'm saying? Paul is saying, I'm not judging the outsiders. Don't you judge those that are inside the fellowship. The Almighty, He'll take care of the outsiders. So Paul is saying we're called to judge, examine, and disfellowship if necessary the insiders, the ones among ourselves. And that's why he quotes Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. We come full circle here. A law that deals with capital punishment in Israel. He's saying that in the manner that Old Covenant Israel's theocracy executed those in Israel who committed capital crimes, the New Covenant congregation is to remove those from their midst. It's a type of punishment. Those who persist in sin and remain unrepentant. It's not a physical stoning, but it's some like what a, a spiritual, so to speak. So, by way of illustration, this may help you understand if you haven't been able to, to follow as well as you'd like. Let's say that I meet an unbeliever while I'm out at work and he wants to have lunch with me. We get to talking out on the job and he says, Man, you know, we need to get together. And this guy's an unbeliever, he doesn't believe in the Messiah. He's a sinner in the world. He's an outsider. I'm allowed to have lunch with him even though he practices sin and does not believe in the Messiah. Now my goal during that lunch is not to participate in sin with him, but to one, be an example to him, and to two, witness to him both in the law and in the gospel. You know, this was the practice of Yeshua. Yeshua ate and drank with sinners all the time. But, not in the sense that he joined them in their sin. I think some people miss that. I think a lot of times now with the new age churchy stuff, Yeshua's friend of sinners so we can just, you know, go and be with them and do everything that they do. No, that's not why Yeshua ate and drank with them. He was trying to win them and be an example to them. Bring them into repentance. He loved the sinners. Because he wanted them to be saved from their sin. He did it to be a holy example. But on the other hand, let's say that a man who bears the name brother is part of the fellowship. I see him fall into one of these sins listed in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 11. There's more than one here. and Paul lists several of these sins here. But let's say we find the man cheating somebody out of their money or stealing from somebody. Let's say we find a person that's committing adultery. Let's say we find a person involved in drunkenness. What do we do? Well, we first follow our Messiah's instructions in Matthew chapter 18. That's what we do. We go to that person in private. If they listen and repent, we've won our brother or sister. If we continue to try to help them yet they refuse to listen, what do we do? we take one or two other in the congregation with us to try to go and talk and to help to them, help them. We speak to them in gentleness. We reach out to them. We tell them we love them. That's why we're here. But if they still refuse, we bring the matter in front of the whole congregation, not just the, the preacher, the whole congregation, the Bible says. If they refuse to repent, then we have no choice but to treat them as an unbeliever and as an outsider but with an added measure of discipline. We don't even eat with him. That lunch that I could have with a sinner out in the world because he's an outsider, I don't believe that I should have with a brother who has received church discipline and has been removed from the congregation and refuses to repent of his sin. 
Now that's a difficult thing, and I don't want that to ever happen. I love everybody in here. I don't want it to ever happen to you or to me. I pray that we can nip it at step one, two, or three. But I'm just teaching the Bible here. This is the instructions from our Messiah and one who was sent out by our Messiah. I believe that's what Paul is saying. Put away the unrepentant man from among you. He's got to go through a learning process. You've got to hand him over to Satan so that maybe his spirit will be saved. Now, I've spent a few sermons dealing with this subject. They're all online. You can go back and listen to them again if you so choose. But it's much easier spoken about than done, as most things are. As one man once told me when I first started working, you can't talk nothing done. You've got to put to action what you learn. Now, I want to encourage all of us here to put what you have learned to practice. Maybe you only remember one point, two, three points of the series of lessons. Put what you've learned to practice. And do so in a spirit of meekness and gentleness. This congregation is my family. Who is my mother, brother, sister, or father? Those that do the will of Yahweh. Even more so than my immediate kin. Yeshua said that. He said, your mother's outside. He said, who is my family? Who is my mother? Those that do the will of Yahweh, my father. So if we see unrepentance rise up in a brother or sister, think about these lessons that I've tried to help us out with. Don't think about what I say so much as you think about what our Messiah says and the Apostle Paul says. Go back and read this. When we do this, we'll be obeying the instructions of the Bible. May Yahweh give us strength to be obedient in this if ever the case arises. May He give us strength because I rest assured you're going to need it if it happens. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Almighty Yahweh, I love you because you first loved me. I'm so thankful that you placed me here in this congregation. It's a beautiful fellowship. I pray that we would become even more close-knit than we already are. I pray we would love one another as we love ourselves. Give us each a heart of care and concern for one another. Let us care for each other like a shepherd does for his sheep. I ask that you would keep us all humble and approachable. I pray that you would convict us by your Spirit when we fall prey to sin. And please help us to listen to the loving rebukes from a brother or sister when we need them. Give us the courage to stand up against sin and give us wisdom and knowledge to properly know what is sin and what is not sin. Help us to remember that love builds one another up. And help us to be an assembly that forgives 70 times 7. I pray all these things to you, Father Yahweh, in the name of your holy child, Yeshua. Amen. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.